Okay. Good evening, beloved. I think my voice is loud enough. I make myself a little bit louder. Okay, one second, y'all. So Percy flanks out. We are live on the mission code. One, two, three. Good. Okay. Let's see your Awesome. Okay. Good evening, everyone. How's everyone doing? Trust y'all had a wonderful day. 
curious to see. Um, let me see here. Okay, everything is set like it should be. Interesting. We have every member of the AKK family is represented here, basically. <laughs> the load is your strength, Auntie. It's not easy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, welcome, everyone. If you're streaming on Zoom, we welcome you. If you're streaming on Facebook, we welcome you. If you're streaming on Rumble, we welcome you. If somehow our YouTube link went out public, we welcome you as well. Um, welcome to tonight's session. Um, we're doing a special presentation. And <laughs> I see you laughing. <laughs> wow, it's raining over here. I don't know if that's a sign of things to come. Oh, or if it's literally just rain. Be heard. Yes, I am. Good. Just making sure that my audio here is clean. Do you know I have not even... Okay, my feed is good too. My video feed is making sure my video feed is clean. Okay, let's see here. I think that looks clean. That does look good. All right. One more check here. And how's everyone doing? How many of you were blessed from yesterday's open book? Hallelujah. I couldn't attend every single part of it because I had to help Papa get set up for his own meeting. Papa had a meeting, an international conference, and um, I got had the privilege to help him out, um, get everything set up um, for the meeting. So I couldn't be as involved as I normally would be. You might have noticed that because there wasn't anyone shouting. <laughs> well, I did shout a few times um, when I was able to be a part, but then most of the time I was, I was um, out and about, for lack of better words. <laughs> but yes, how's everyone doing? Hope you're all doing good. I'm trying to tighten this thing. There, I think it's getting tight now. Okay, that's slightly better. There we go. All right, we're, we're getting in there. Cool. Adjustment made. This is my iPad. That's good. All right, so bright. Um, let's see here. Our presentation tonight is from the Book of Revelation. And um, I have here a little fancy grab. But before we start all of that, welcome everyone to Mysteries of the Kingdom. My name is, okay, well, I'm not sure my face yet. Give me one second, let me get my face ready. But this is Missions of the Kingdom. Pastor Francis Seabor normally would be the one hosting everyone here, but he has given me the incredible honor to bring the word this evening. And uh, for those of you who do not recognize my voice, let me give you a visual. Here we go. Hallelujah. Um, welcome again. My name is Francis Seabor. I'm the son of Pastor Francis and Pastor Chinere Seabor, and I want to welcome you again to tonight's Mysteries of the Kingdom. Um, tonight is going to be a little bit special because we're having a session, and this session we're having, I want to make sure that we're live. Are we live? Yes, it does say we're live. Good. Good, 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 good. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, cool. And tonight's session is a special presentation, and um, it is called The Revelation Code. And our goal tonight is to begin this beautiful journey of unveiling the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation has been known to be a very scary book. Our goal is to make it as non-scary as possible. And we want to make sure we're doing so accurately with the scriptures. We don't want to come up with theories by ourselves. We want to dive into the scriptures, if that makes sense. And um, something that's going to be really helpful is we're going to be having a few tips and tricks that we can use to help ourselves out. So without further ado, let's jump in to our presentation. And um, yeah, let's get started. It is raining out here. It is raining. Okay. So to kick things off, um, our goal is to unveil the book of Revelation, make it least, less mysterious, not least, less mysterious 
um, that everyone thinks it is. And the reason why is because it is a lot less mysterious than many people say it is. And it's really important that we understand that and embrace that. Um, it's, not, it's not the reason why it is a lot less mysterious than it has been for several years. It's not because we are wiser than anyone, but rather because of everyone else's work. What's happened is that over several decades, um, a lot of work has been put into knowledge and insights in the church. And the fruit of all of that investment is that right now with things like the internet, with things like artificial intelligence, with things like all the different tools that are available to us, we can take advantage of these things um, to bring about the, um, a richer understanding of the scripture. Someone says artificial intelligence. Why would you mention that? Well, the truth is that whenever God wants to say something, you always see technology um, being developed for that new speaking of God. I would often make reference to, for example, how when the children of Israel were to build the Ark of the Covenant, were to build the tabernacle, sorry, what ended up happening was that God gave unique wisdom to Aholiab and Bezalel. And by the grace and mercy of God, it's actually written in Josephus' writings that they were, by the hand of the Lord, able to weave um, sculptures that were beyond what the physical um, um, nature of gold would allow. Basically, they were able to ban gold in ways that were not physically possible because of that unique wisdom. So what happened was that there was some kind of technological advancement, or maybe it was something that was mystical and supernatural. Who knows? The Lord knows. But my point just being, though, like, because of the necessity of what the Lord wanted to say, we know this because the Bible says that God said that he would speak between the wings of the cherubim. And that was the emphasis that um, was captured in that writing of Josephus. And it was that for that purpose... Um, unusual skill was given to these guys in sculpting the wings of the cherubim. Okay. The next thing I want to make reference to is when the Lord wanted to speak, the Lord wanted to speak to the body through the Bible. Amen. This is a copy of the Bible I have right here with me. This is the most um, printed book on the earth. We have more copies of the Bible than any other book in the, in the world. And the reason why was because this is actually the first book to ever get printed. In fact, what ended up happening was that right at the end of the dark ages, um, God began to minister to a man called um, Martin Luther, and he began to draw up a different translation of the then Latin Bible in a way that was easy to understand to the common man. And guess where that copy of the Bible went to? To the Gutenberg Press. And that was why, that is the reason why the Bible is the most printed book, because it was the first printed book. And basically, it was a way of saying that God wanted to speak to all of the body. God wanted to speak to the whole world. I believe, I would say the whole body though. And the best way to do that was to make the Bible accessible. And to do that, technology had to kick in for the sole purpose of God speaking to the world. We are at another corridor of technology, okay? And I personally believe that what's happening right now, artificial intelligence, the Lord wants to say something, okay? And I think it's important that we are able to, let's say, discern what exactly is the Lord trying to say, okay? And um, I think at this time, with all of these tools available at our disposal, we can get lost in the place of um, dismissing technological advancement or getting carried away by technological advancement instead of getting carried by away by what the Lord is trying to say in this season and maximizing every tool to make sure that his voice is being heard. Hallelujah. Um, I will tell a few friends, you know, when we talk about advancement in technology and different keynotes that take place on the earth right now in a tech space, in the media space as well, that what's happening right now is that because of democratized, um, democratized um, um, creativity, democratized skills, democratized writing, all of these things are currently possible using artificial intelligence. 
anyone with a dream or an encounter from God, they can illustrate it. They can present it. They can bring it out. They can give expression to it. Anyone with a concept, they can flesh it out a lot more easier because of all of these tools. And so my wisdom, I say my wisdom, my word of wisdom to everyone is to maximize these tools for the sole purpose of the kingdom of God. Okay. So we're moving right along. Uh, we're going to keep this going. Um, a few things that are very important for the book of Revelation, discerning the book of Revelation. I explained this last week. Okay. The book of Revelation is actually a prophetic, has a prophetic sequential structure, but it has at the same time prophetic retellings. And this is um, more clearly illustrated in a narrative in Exodus 19 and 20. And I explained this last week that when God sent him out Mount, upon Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19, um, you read Exodus chapter 19 as, you know, this passage in scripture, and then you read Exodus chapter 20, you might think that Exodus chapter 20 comes after 19, but actually no, Exodus chapter 20 is actually somewhere, is actually an expansion of a specific scene found in chapter 19. And if you're not careful, you miss out on it, okay? The hints to everything is when the trumpet sounds long, okay? That was when God said he may come up on the mountain. And um, I actually completely missed this, if not for the Bible Project. In fact, speaking of the Bible Project, they were so helpful um, in my generating the graphic for this, um, or the lack thereof, <laughs> for this um, little meeting we have here today. They have this beautiful um, chart. I want to see if I can get the chart ready or visible for y'all to see that um, I will be using. There we go. Let me try and get this the way that y'all can see. And it's basically, it maps out the structure, the literary, literary structure of the book of Revelation. And I think it's a beautiful guide. I don't think it's perfect, but I think it's really helpful in discerning a lot of the intentions captured in this book. Let me see if I can get this as close to, that's not where I'm trying to go. I'm trying to get there. Good. I'm trying to get here. Good. Beautiful. This is perfect. Perfect. Oof. Come on. Let's go. Come on, somebody. Come on. Come on. Come on. Okay. So I'm going to share this with myself. Can I do that, please? Can I do that, please? Let's see if we can get this going. It is going. Awesome. And um, yes, they're the ones that the Lord used to help me out in this. They revealed that when the Lord um, told the children of Israel to come up on the mountain, um, that beckoning of the Lord was not, it, it was real. It actually did happen but you might miss it if you don't read chapter 20 as a subset of chapter 19. And so when they explained it, I was like, uh-huh, this explains so much of the narrative here. And honestly speaking, that is a structure you're going to find throughout the book of Revelation. You're also going to find that structure throughout the book of Genesis as well. A good example of this is Genesis chapter one, which is the creation, right? The creation narrative. If you keep on reading the book of Genesis, you're going to discover that um, in Genesis chapter two, there seems to be another creation narrative, but rather Genesis chapter two is an expansion of many of the events that took place in chapter one. Um, and also they happen on a different plane. So, all right, so let's get this going again. So again, it is a prophetic sequential structure with prophetic retellings, okay? And I'm you know, majoring on this emphasis simply because what you're going to be experiencing when you're reading the book of Revelation is that you're going to actually be seeing chunks of things that follow each other in sequence, but at the same time, some things that seem to repeat themselves. Mama's explained before, that's what Mama has said things like, um, Book of Revelation is not a literal, you know, chronological sequence from chapter one all the way to chapter 22, okay? But you're going to find some things repeated. That's what my mom made mention of, okay, with the prophetic retellings. Hallelujah. Okay, 
Then also, I've explained this before when I did the presentation on the Great Tribulation, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls or vials of wrath are all saying the same thing, but they're administered to different people. The seven seals are administered privately to the Manchow Company. The seven trumpets are sounded by the angels of the Manchow Company to the church. And then the seven bowls of wrath are poured out by the entire body of Christ, by the church, into the world. The, the church that is in the world at the time. Okay? Hallelujah. So that is very critical for understanding the Revelation. It's the same thing but it's being told to many different people, okay? So you can see again, even right there again, you can see the prophetic retelling thing showing or peeking its head again, okay? There is also a lot of symbolism in this book, okay? The symbolism of Revelation is astounding. And honestly speaking, it can throw you off. You need to understand this is a prophetic book, and so you're going to have a lot of prophetic symbolism. If you take things literally, you're going to make lots of mistakes. Very, very critical. A good example of this is when the Bible talks about a third, okay? Satan's tail casting a third of the stars of heaven, Okay? Um, that has been mistaken in every single way by the prior interpretation the church has held on to, which is that Satan at one point in time um, um, made a third of the angels of God fall. Okay, First of all, that fraction, one over three, is not a th literal third. It is an operation that Satan used. That's one. Two, the reference to that, that point of scripture in context was not prior to Satan's fall. It was actually after Satan's fall. In fact, that event in Revelation chapter 12 that I'm making reference to right now hasn't happened yet. Okay, so it's still a futuristic event. And I guess the last thing is, it's not angels that fell. It was actually um, um, Abraham's seed, the stars in the heavens, all right, that God prophesied to Abraham he would bring forth, he would give birth to. Okay, it's a third of them, and the third not meaning the number of them, but rather the way they fell, Okay. So symbolism in this book is insane, okay? And this book, is he unsealed? <laughs> That's a typo. This book is unsealed. What does that mean? This book is actually not very cryptic. Many people believe the book of Revelation is a very cryptic book, and it's very difficult to understand. But what I've discovered is that actually, now I want to make sure I'm being understood in context here. I do understand that us arriving at this understanding required a lot of work done by our ancestors by people that preserve the scriptures, by people that have taught us exhausted, people that have prayed and interceded for the church to come into measures of the outpouring of the spirit of God. So, it, it, you know, I, I'm not speaking in a vacuum when I say that it is not difficult to understand the book of Revelations. But what I am saying is that there are some things that we have done to ourselves that has made this book very difficult to understand. And I'm speaking not to the young person that maybe has never read this book before, but I'm speaking to someone that has been in the church for several years and is wondering why on earth is this book so hard to understand? And it's not because of anything bad that um, you're doing per se, but because of some pre-existing definitions that fight against the hidden wisdom captured in this book. A good example of this, for example, is when we see the number 666, okay? Oh, the Bible talk, talking about like, you know, this thing, you know, back of your hand, your forehead. There is already a, a predisposition that many of us have as to what the Bible is saying. And um, not only that, but we have made some of these some of these incorrect understandings or insights to this book. We have now made them the frameworks of the infrastructure we used to understand many other things in the Bible. So we have theories emerging about things like the rapture theory and stuff like that. And these things are resting upon false interpretations of scripture, which if you then begin to tackle, people are like, well, wait, how about, how about? And many people believe that 
um, just because um, there is a, there seems to be this strong cosmology, okay? There's this perspective they have on the Bible and what the Bible is saying. And that was because it is very thorough. That doesn't mean that it's correct. Does that make sense? As a believer, you should actually be getting your theology, your understanding, your cosmology checked from time to time. Hallelujah. Okay, let's keep this going. Um, so the book is unsealed, explain itself. Okay, this is the last part that's very interesting. A lot of the concepts of the book of Revelation are actually explained in the book itself. So for example, I've heard people talk about how the seven mountains in the book of Revelations are the seven kingdoms of this, of seven, um, seven, seven mountains are the seven spheres of influence, okay? But if you read the book of Revelation, it tells you what the seven mountains are. It actually says it in the book itself, amen? It's just like when the Bible says the mystery of the seven stars, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, right? And the seven candlesticks are the seven churches. The book of Revelation is not trying to be mystical. I just hope everyone is getting what I'm saying here. It's not trying to be hidden. It's not trying to be deep. Book of Revelation is, it's, is actually a very open book, and it's hoping that you already understand the Bible. Does that make sense? The problem is that we think that the Bible was designed to be hard to understand. The age of the Bible being hard to understand is the Old Testament. And it was written that way for the sole purpose of God taking advantage of sin to bring about righteousness. When God wants to work in a sinful or dark environment, God appears to be evil. Does that make sense? This is why you see things in the Old Testament where it says things like God smote him or God struck him, okay? That's because when the scriptures are written in a specific, a specific point in time, God appears in that way, okay? But the truth is that God is none of those things, amen? In fact, when you see what God's intentions really are, you'll be like, so what the heck was that, okay? And that was not because of God being evil, but rather the way we interact with God, our hearts being dulled and, and, and filtered with sin, okay? Twisting it of the heart, I would say to the forward, I will show myself as forward, amen? But in the New Testament, God doesn't want to be seen as forward. God wants to be seen for who he is, amen? This is the season of revelation. This is the season of things being made clear. God is not trying to be difficult. God is not trying to be hard. Now, here comes another problem, okay, with everything I just said now. Because with everything I just said now, it, it suggests that the Bible should be very easy to understand, okay? Do you know that something that can be very easy to understand can be made difficult, okay? if you are not able to read correctly. A good example of this is you go to a stove, okay? Turning on a stove, okay, will be simple if you are being taught for the first time how to do it, and it's a very simple thing. Just push this button and turn it like this. That's all you need to do. Now, if you learn that simple gesture, you're good to go for life. What if, though, you have muscle memory to not push and turn left and turn right, but instead to pull and then turn left? And every time you approach the stove, you keep on going. You're like, this stove is so difficult to turn on. It's not because it's difficult to turn on. It is because you have been trained to turn, to not turn it on. Does that make sense? You have been trained to turn it off, for lack of better words. Okay. So I'm really hoping that we, we get that. And then last but not least, um, instead of pop culture references, I have this thing here called prof culture references. It references the prophetic culture references. And prophetic means you're going to find a book of revelation borrows heavily from other places in the bible and is expecting that you are someone that loves god's word if not why would you be reading the book of revelation amen if you're not interested in what god has to say which is the scripture then the book of revelation would not be interesting to you either i hope that makes sense okay so moving right along we're going to jump now all right 
to our little visual from the Bible Project. Now, this is a very, could be scary, but this is a beautiful map of the book, okay? And they break things down into different segments. They have chapters one to three, and chapters four through five, and chapters, um, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven signs, and then the seven bowls of wrath. And then they have like all these things on the extreme right, like the fall of Babylon, the final battle, and, and the marriage of heaven and earth, okay? That's their way of doing this. And honestly speaking, you're going to find a lot of similarities between what I'm about to show you and what they have right there. So before we kick this in, let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you because you are the one that has the keys of the kingdom. You are the one that is giving these keys to us. You are the one that is revealing scripture to us. You are the one that is unveiling everything. This is a season of revelation, a season of insight. And a Heavenly Father, you want us to come into understanding and into discernment. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come into understanding, as we come into discernment, Lord, there's going to be your urgency in our hearts and there's going to be transformation as well. Help us, Heavenly Father, to find ourselves overwhelmed by your nature, overwhelmed by your love, and overwhelmed by your wisdom, even as we plow deeper into this book. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so um, we're going to jump past that and get right into our, our presentation. The beginnings of this book I'm going to skip because the seven, the letters to the seven churches in chapters one, two, and three, okay, are not really difficult. Then the narrative in chapters four and five, also not very difficult. Even though chapters one through five, they're very critical to understand the rest of the book. But I believe that everyone here so far has had a thorough introduction to chapters one through five. Our goal is not to look at the easy things, okay? Our goal is to look at the things that are kind of more difficult to understand. All right, so the dark sentences, we're jumping in. And we're kicking this off by looking at the seven seals, okay? The seven seals are captured within Revelation 6 through 8. Sorry, one more thing. I've explained this before, okay? The, the seals, the trumpets, and the bowls are all like nested dolls. And I'm going to explain what that means, okay? You have the seven seals broken in sequence, okay? And you have them all, pa, first seal, second seal, third seal, fourth seal, fifth, all with the very last seal. For the seventh seal to be successfully broken, the blowing of the seven trumpets must commence. That must happen, okay? And it will not complete. The seventh seal will not be completely broken until the seventh trumpet has finished sounding, okay? Not started sounding, finished sounding, okay? So as the seventh seal has been broken, the seven trumpets begin to sound. Trumpet one, trumpet two, trumpet three, trumpet four, trumpet five. In the days of the sounding of the seventh trumpet, you're going to have, okay, the bowls of wrath being poured out, okay? Bowl one, bowl two, bowl three, bowl four, bowl, bowl five, bowl six, and bowl seven. After bowl seven has finished, the seventh seal will successfully shatter. The seventh trumpet will stop sounding, as the bowls of wrath are poured in, because the bowls of wrath usher in, the final bowl of wrath ushers in the return of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm gonna keep this going, all right? So, moving back to the seven seals, okay? The seven seals kick off, okay, with the ministry of the four living creatures and the ministry of the four horsemen, okay? And what happens in the breaking of the seven seals is you're gonna find the four horsemen. The first one is the conqueror. The second one is the on the warfare horse, the third one is famine, and the fifth one, the fourth one is death. Okay. But I want us to see an emphasis of the breaking of the seals on the golden altar. Okay. And this is something that's very important because 
The whole point of the seven seals, all right, is for the man-child company to be equipped for the work of ministering to the body. Basically, the man-child company is like the priesthood, okay, ministering to the body to allow the body fun become functional in their priesthood so that the body together, including the man-child company, can minister to the world. Does that make sense? And to do this, the thing that should be ministered to the world is, first of all, administered to the man-child company. And what is that ministry to the man-child company is the concept of the book of life, the very life of God, the love of God, the nature of God, the characteristics of God, all right? And all, as all of these things are poured out, you're going to find outbreaks of operations of God that these four horsemen are carrying. Now, I've said this before, these operations are a private experience. The four horsemen in Revelations chapter six, okay? If you read the scripture, it, you might arrive at a conclusion that there's all of these cataclysmic worldwide events like famine and, and warfare and death. I want to assure you that none of the events captured in Revelations chapter six are going to be on a global scale. They are going to be private wars. I've got to add something to my, to my notes there because apart from things, one more guideline for, for the book of Revelation is that because of how much unction is in this book, you're going to find that the things in this book have multiple fulfillments. I explained this last week. If you have any questions, please talk. Amen. Please say, Mr. Francis, what are you saying? Why did you force me to come on here? Why did you make me click that button? Okay. Hallelujah. All right. So let's keep this going. Hope everyone understands what I've said so far. Okay. The golden altar is a major place. And the reason why this is important is because the golden altar is a place where intercession is made for the body or a specific kind of prayer captured in the scriptures as the prayer of the saints, okay? Basically, the seven seals are meant to teach the man-child company how to pray. The Bible says, we know not how to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit of God helps us, right? And he brings us into a place of groaning, and that groaning is for the redemption of the body, amen? Now, at the golden altar, intercession is being made for the man-child, for the, for the church, by the man-child company and the seven seals are broken so that the man-child company is able to make sufficient functional fruitful adequate intersect intersect inter intercession for the body of christ does that make sense so basically as the book of life is being opened to you you are learning how to function as a priest you're learning how to minister to the body. You are learning the Melchizedek priesthood. You are learning how to intercede, how to watch over the body of Christ. I really hope this makes sense, okay? So you're going to find a lot of emphasis, all right, around the golden altar. So for clarity, let's just take a quick dive in, okay? We don't have to rush through this. We can if you want to, but we don't have to, okay? I saw the lamb break one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold, a white horse. He who sat on it had a bow, the crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer, okay? If you read verse 2, you might think that, oh my gosh, the wars are happening on the earth. It's because we're in, this, in the first seal right now. Hallelujah. Remember, the seven seals are a private experience. I'm going to say it again. The, the, the seals are a private experience. Let me add the other thing. I said it before, right? All of these things have multiple fulfillments. So you, the Lord can actually tell you that right now we are in Revelation chapter 7, amen, or right, Revelation chapter 8. Amen. But keep in mind that when the Lord is telling you that, all right, that is the Lord speaking to you directly. That is the Lord speaking to you personally. Okay. And the spirit of God is breathing on a scripture and using it to minister to you personally. Okay. 
please understand that what the Lord is showing you personally might not be doctrine to be taught from that scripture. But you can say, oh, the Lord showed me this. Does that make sense? And the Lord does do that. Please, I need to, everyone to understand. The Lord does do that. Amen. The Lord does breathe uniquely into scripture to show us things. I remember, was it Brian Gurren? Um, he wanted to get married and um, he was dating this one girl and an angel came and at a specific point in time. And I think the angel wrote in his coffee mug a specific scripture song of Solomon. It says, do not stir up love until it pleases. I thought that was really cool how the angel was stirring a cup of coffee, okay? Or wake it because coffee is to keep you awake, right? You take coffee so you don't fall asleep. So the angel was saying, do not stir up love until it pleases. That means until the time is right. So basically the angel was saying, it is not time for you to be dating, basically. Um, is that what that scripture was? Was that, was that scripture written for Brian Gurren's um, love, love life? <laughs> Who gets what I'm saying? Was it written for his relationship? But no, the answer is no, okay? That scripture was not written for that event. That scripture was written for, was written to the body. But the Holy Spirit can breathe on that scripture and minister it to you personally. Does that make sense? Okay, because the whole point of scripture anyway, so that God can minister to you. It's a doorway through which the spirit of God can minister to you. All right. Okay. Behold a white horse and everything and blah, 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 blah. So you can see all of these things being fulfilled and having multiple fulfillments. But the, there is a narrative that the entire book is communicating. And we want to make sure that those efforts in communicating to us what happens when the seven seals are being broken. We don't lose that. I feel like it's, it's very critical that we understand that, yes. God can speak to us uniquely. Yes, God can speak to us specially. Yes, but at the same time, we don't want to lose out what the Lord is saying in these scriptures, okay? So we keep on going, the fourth seal. After the fourth seal, um, there's this guy that's um, called death and hell is following him. And verse five says, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Look at this. And they cried with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, okay? Until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And when you hear this, you might think like saying, God, punish our enemies, kill them, kill them now, amen? That is not the prayer, amen? The prayer that they were praying here is the same prayer of Abel, and it was intercession for righteousness to be raised, to be raised upon the earth, that those that have destroyed the earth, okay, righteousness would be raised up in their place. It's like the intercession of Stephen, okay? The intercession of Abel, amen? The Bible says the blood of Jesus Christ speaks better things than the blood of Abel, not because Abel's blood was crying out for vengeance, the way we know vengeance, as in kill Cain, kill Cain. No, no, that's what the, the blood of Abel was not crying for killing Cain. The blood of Abel was crying for Seth to be raised, amen? For someone to rise up like Abel, amen? This is what happens with martyrdom. When martyrs, people understand, understand martyrdom a lot, they understand that when you sow yourself, all right, um, unless a coin of wheat dies, it abides alone. Jesus Christ knew this wisdom and he sowed himself into the earth. And by doing that, he reached 12 apostles from the 12 apostles, okay, 120 followers. And then from there, the gospel began to multiply, amen? So um, what I want to point out here is that the intercession of the souls at the altar is not kill them, kill them, Lord, kill them. That is not what is, what is at play here. What is happening here is that they're crying out with a loud voice, oh, Lord God, bring redemption to the earth. Amen? I, I want you to see what's happening here, okay? It says here, they had been slain for the word of God 
and for the testimony which they held. This happened after the four seals were released. Remember that the fourth, the fourth seal ministered death. Remember that? I'm going to show us the, the, the roster real quick. The roster of the four seals looks like this. Okay? Conquering first, then warfare, then famine, and finally death. Okay? This is what you see in the book of Revelations chapter 6. The first horse came conquering into conquer. The second horse, okay, came and take away peace from the earth. The third horse came with what? Famine, right? Pair of scales in his hand. Bad economy. The fourth horse, right, came with death and hell followed him. Hallelujah. Look at verse 9. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Basically, the Bible is showing us this, okay? Until you have been ministered to by the four horsemen, you are not going to be a part of this company called the Manchow Company. What I'm trying to say here is this, okay? You know when people say things like be rapturable, amen? Let me explain to you what being rapturable means from this portion of scripture here, okay? Assuming the rapture is going to play out the way many people say it's meant to play out, okay? Basically, according to this portion of scripture, okay, you are meant to be visited by the first horseman, which is conquering, okay? It speaks about warfare against the things of this world in your soul, okay? Victory against them, okay? So you're overcoming things in your, in your flesh. Stop lying, stop cheating, stop stealing, okay? The next level, okay, hmm, is not just conquering now, all right, but taking away peace from the earth. In other words, there is no part of you now that is not under, uh, um, um, that is not under attack with God's word. There is, there is a, for lack of a better word, the Bible says to take away peace from the earth. This is not just you're going from one region to another region. There is now a wholesale assault against the kingdoms of this world in your heart and in your mind. Remember, the seven seals are a private experience, all right? One-on-one. -on -one. Okay, God is ministering directly to you. He's ministering each of these four. The, Jesus Christ is ministering the breaking of each of these four seals to you personally, okay? These, these four living creatures, these four horsemen are ministering to you personally, directly. So the second one is that peace take away from the earth. The third one is famine. Okay, what does this mean? The kingdoms of this world in your life are being dried out, okay? It's not, it's not a time for you to be living anyhow. You're not, you're not finding yourself enjoying the things of this world. They are losing their grip on your soul, okay? And the fourth horseman is death. This is, he's coming to kill. Now let's just look at the scripture, okay? Coming to kill the things of this world in you, okay? It says here, the pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death, and Hades followed with him, and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth. Again, remember, a fourth of the earth is not one divided by four. Amen? Look at this. To kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. I won't be surprised at what the fourth there means. To kill with sword, hunger, death, and beasts of the earth. I know there's a reference to something in the Old Testament. I'm thinking about something in the book of Ezekiel, but I, off the top of my head, I can't remember that right now. But my point here is this, okay? The four horsemen, okay, are meant to bring you to the place where you can join the golden altar, the souls of those who had been slain also. What were they slain for? For the word of God and for the testimony which they held. In other words, faithfulness in holding on to God's word, faithfulness in holding on to the testimony of Jesus, it is going to deal with the world on the inside of you. This is why when you begin to hold God's word, when you begin to seek Jesus, when you begin to do things of God, 
the world on the inside of you begins to fight. It doesn't like what you are doing. Why? That word of God, okay, that living like Jesus that you're doing is, is toxic to it. It's hostile to it, right? It's damaging to it. As you're holding on to God's word, you're living by the spirit of God, as you're obeying the Lord's words, okay, you're going to find things of this world in you are being attacked, okay, by the kingdoms of this world. Does that make sense? Hallelujah. Now, when the fifth seal is open, you join a community of people who have been going through this. Companions in tribulation. Amen. Companions in the patience of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's unique about these people is that all of them are crying not for the world in them to come back, as in, Lord, stop. But instead, how much longer, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Come and judge this world system. Come and judge this world system. Look at this. Bible now says this, okay? Because of this prayer, Bible says a white robe was given to each of them. You know what that means? The white robe, okay, in the book of Exodus speaks about being ready for the coming of the Lord. I explained this last week, I believe, okay? When you're clothed with white, okay, in the book of Revelation, it's a reference to Exodus chapter 19. When God was coming back and he told the children of Israel, Prepare for me, for on the third day I'm going to come, okay, in the sight of all of Israel. And God told Moses, go down and have the people of Israel wash their clothes. Wearing white robes means that you are ready for the coming of the Lord. What am I saying here? Being rapturable means that you must have gone through these processes. Does that make sense? You must be able to pray the prayer of the saints. That's what I'm trying to get at you, okay? For you to be rapturable, okay, it means the cry in your heart. Not the cry when it's time to pray. You know when we want to pray? We want to see God. We now shut up. We want to wind ourselves up. And then we touch the burdens of the Lord. Okay? This is about you doing your daily life. And there is a furnace on the inside of you. Amen? And this furnace is calling for the vengeance of God. The Bible says, the wrath of man does not bring forth the righteousness of God, but the wrath of God does. And that furnace inside is crying out, for the vengeance of the Lord of Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. Amen. Bible says here, it was said to them that they should wait a while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who should be killed as they were was completed. You know what that number is? We're going to find out in the next chapter, right? It's 144,000. Hallelujah. Not a physical number again. It is the name, okay? There is a collective cry. The, 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 if you read the next chapter, the Bible says that um, there were seven, there were 12 different tribes of Israel. And from each tribe of Israel, there was a count of 12,000, all right? So basically what the Bible is saying here is that for the number to be complete, there has to be sufficient offering unto God from every tribe. Let me explain like this, okay? For the number of the man-child company to be perfectly sealed, we need to have from every people group on the earth offerings being made to God. Not just any kind of offerings, the prayer of the saints. Amen. It's the Maranatha cry that says, come Lord Jesus. Is everyone listening? So you're going to have, like right now, if you check the Pyosal prophecy, he identifies the Tiv, Tiv group, right? If the Tiv group is ca captured, that's going to lead to this other group. It's going to lead to this other group. Da, da, da. As you keep on mapping out all the different tribes in Nigeria successfully, okay, what ends up happening is that you can swallow Nigeria effectively. 
onto some specific, until you get 12,000 from the Tim people, 12,000 from people in Kaduna, 12,000 people in Enugu, 12,000 from people in all your states, you are not going to be able to collect Nigeria. Does, does, that, does that make sense? Okay. There's 12 specific tribes. Okay, cool. You, you guys get the idea. I hope you get the idea. Okay. So moving on, until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who would be killed as they were was completed. What is that killing? Is it the physical cut of their necks? No, the administration of the four horsemen. The private experience of the unsealing of the book of life will kill this world inside of them as they were also killed. Is everyone listening? This is also a throw forward to the Revelation 12 scripture that they love not their lives to the death. In other words, they held onto God's word at their own expense. I'm not joking with you. That is serious. Amen. Because God's word will put you in situations sometimes where you're innocent and yet you have to, because of the word of God, accept a guilty verdict in the eyes of men. Okay, verse 12. In response to the prayer of the saints, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. Behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became like blood and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when, sorry, when it's shaken by a mighty wind, okay? Th this obviously is telling you, beloved, that what's actually taking place here, okay, is an outpouring of the Spirit of God because rushing mighty wind in Acts chapter 2 is a call back to the Holy Spirit. And also, even this portion of Scripture we just looked at, okay, when it says, um, I saw uh, the same, some became as black, black as sackcloth of hair, and um, the moon became like blood. Where do we see that? If you read the book of Joel chapter two, when the Bible says, I will pour out my spirit in all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Upon your manservants and upon my maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day, awesome day of the Lord. It shall come to pass, whoever shall call, call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, there shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the remnant who the Lord calls. That remnant is these people here who are receiving the ministration of the breaking of the seven seals. If you do not understand what I am saying, please let me know. Amen. Please understand. Understand again, okay? What's happening here is that the mighty rushing wind is an outpouring of the Spirit of God. And we explain that using the book of Joel. We can use Acts chapter 2. And honestly speaking, the unsealing of this book, I've explained it time and time again. The book is only sealed because of the absence of God's Spirit. Amen? Look at this. Then the sky receded as a scroll. Isn't that so interesting? In the breaking of the seals, one of the things that is broken is the sky. So that the book can be opened up a seal has to be broken. One, I think that's, let me, say, let, me, let me calm down, okay? One of the seals that is broken is the sky above you, okay? The heavens over you have to be broken. Or let me say it like this, your understanding has to be flooded with light, amen? Because when the Bible speaks about the heavens above, it's not speaking about the physical sky, amen? It's speaking about your interactions with the heavenlies, okay? Your understanding or awareness of things happening in the realm of the spirit, Amen? Your, your sensitivity to the things that are happening in the realm of the spirit. What's going to happen here is that as you continue praying the prayer of the saints, you break into a very strong awareness 
of what is happening in the heavenlies, okay? As this happens, you're going to find like things that happen to Bob Jones happening to you literally, where you're, where, where you're caught up into the heavenlies as a natural thing, but not as a gift, this time by function of your walk with God. Does that make sense? I hope everyone understands what I just said now, okay? Not as a gift, but as a consequence of your walk with God. Because of your intercession for the body, because of your, the intensity, right, of the lifestyle you're living, you begin to gravitate to where people that live like that are found. They're not found on this earth. They're found in the heavenlies. Jesus said that too when Jesus Christ said in the book of John chapter 3 that the Son of Man is in heaven. Amen? Even though he was talking to Nicodemus at the time. Okay. So the heavens, we see that as a scroll. Isn't that interesting? We're talking about the breaking of the seventh seal so we can read the scroll of the book of life, right? The scroll, the scroll is sealed with seven seals. When it's rolled up and every mountain, every island was moved out of its place. Mountains and islands, okay? Mountains, they shield you from the light of the sun, okay? They're obstructions. They, they block you from seeing the horizon. Islands don't allow you to leave. They trap you, okay? Every island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great man, the rich man, the commanders, the mighty man, every slave and every free man hid himself in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and rocks, fallen us and hide from the face of the, look at this, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. What is this showing us? As the sky recedes as a scroll, the face of God can be seen. The likeness of God can be seen. Let me say it like this, okay? As you're breaking each of the seven seals off of the book of life and you open the book of life, you will see the face of God. Who here gets that? So what the book of life is carrying is the image of God, the likeness of God. So as you're breaking off the seven seals one by one, what you keep on finding is the image and likeness of God. Now, when you first start breaking off the seals, horsemen are released to directly minister death of this world system to you. Why? The Bible says that the, um, anyone that makes himself a friend of this world is an enemy of God. Amen? That's in the book of James, right? Adulterers and, adulter 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 and adulteresses, don't you know, friendship with this world is enmity against God. So because of the enmity against God, God begins to fight the things that he hates in your life. It might be lying, it might be stealing, it might be cheating, it might be sickness, amen? It might be the wrong mindset, maybe a poverty mindset, all right? It might be maybe pride, amen? Most of it is pride, <laughs> hallelujah, amen? Most of it is pride. I know in my life, most of it is pride, hallelujah. And what's going to be happening, God is going to administer those things directly. So you see a portion of his face and those rays of light as you're beholding, all right? Ministering spirits are released, okay? By the ministry of the spirit of the Lord into your life, to force conformity with the likeness of Jesus Christ onto you so that you are transformed into the same image from glory, one seal, to glory, the next seal, to glory, the next seal, to glory, until you receive the ministry of the four horsemen completely, after which you join the community uh, of the, those who are praying the prayer of the saints, those who died in the Lord, those who died in Christ. That's where Paul, that's where Peter, that's where all the apostles died, okay? They died in that state of praying the prayer of the saints, amen? And then you now, um, you have the heavens broken over you. This is what happened to John when he was in Mount, Mount Patmos. He experienced the shattering of the sixth seal over his life. Amen. All the apostles, they all got to the, the place where the sixth seal was broken. 
It was the place of the seventh seal that they all slept in. Okay, as the seventh seal was broken over them, all of them slept. You find Peter slept like this, Paul slept like this. Um, John is alive. I do that strongly, so he not sleep like that. Jude did. James, almost everyone that wrote the scriptures, they slept in this estate, right? Or praying for the consolation of the body the same way that they all did. They were all companions in the tribulation of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't understand what I'm saying, please let me know. Hallelujah. Now, after all of this is done, the discussion, okay? Sorry, I went too far ahead here, okay? After these things, four angels stood at the four corners of the earth. Notice how when it comes to the, the breaking of the seals, the number four... Fourth, okay, the emphasis is on the number four, okay? You have the four horsemen, okay? And a fourth of the earth being killed by beasts, by pestilence, by warfare, by death, right? You keep on seeing four, okay? He heavily emphasized in the, with, the, with the, what you call the four living creatures, the four horsemen. You, you keep on seeing that the four winds, the four, the four angels, the four corners of the earth. Number four is the number of the seven seals, Revelation, okay? That the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea, or any tree. Then I saw another angel sent from the east, having a seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice, saying to the four angels who was granted to harm the earth and the sea, saying, Do not harm the earth or the sea or the tree. So we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now, when you read this, it should be a callback to the book of Ezekiel. Amen. Ezekiel chapter 9, a very interesting scripture. Okay, let's look, take a look real quick, okay? And he called out in my hearing with a loud voice saying, let those who have charge over the city draw near, each with a deadly weapon in his hand. And suddenly six men came from the direction of the upper gates, which faces north, each with a battle axe in his hand. These are all angels of God. One man among them was clothed with linen and had a writer's inkhorn at his side. They went in and stood beside the brazen altar. In the Old Testament, the brazen altar in the New Testament at the golden altar. Now the glory of the Lord of Israel had gone up from the chair where it had been to the threshold of the temple. And he called to the man clothed with linen who had the writer's inkhorn at his side. And the Lord said to him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and cry over all the abominations that are done within it. You know what's happening here? The angel with the seal is about to seal the servants of God. Who are the servants of God? Those who are weeping and travailing for an end to the wickedness being done in the church. Amen? These are the people that are crying the prayers of the saints. In other words, those who are praying the prayers of the saints, they get a lot of things. They get the white linen, right? They are rapture ready. Okay, I'm going to keep on using that word. We know that the rapture is not going to happen the way everyone says it's going to happen. Amen? But they are rapture ready. They are clothed, okay, with white robes. Also, they have a mark on their foreheads, which is holiness unto God, okay? The seal of the Lord, amen? And you see that um, reference in the Old Testament here in Ex uh, Ezekiel chapter 9, okay? Verse 5 says, to the others, he said in my hearing, go after him through the city and kill. Do not let your eyes spare, nor have any pity. Slay old and young men. So basically, everyone that was not part of this number was basically ravished by this world. So it says here um, in verse three, saying, do not harm the earth, the sea, or the trees till we have sealed the servants of God on their foreheads. And I heard the number or the description or the name of those who were sealed. And that description was 144,000. 
And he goes on to explain that they were of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Okay. Now, when I'm going to offer some explanation here for why we say this is not physical Israel that they're about to reference here. Okay. Even though many anointed men of God can show you that this was Israel. I'm going to show to you the reason why we don't believe it was Israel. And the primary reason is because this book of Revelation was written to the Gentile church. It was written to the seven churches, okay, in the of seven Gentile churches in the region of Asia. And it was written to them intentionally because they were meant to represent the fullness of the Gentiles. I'm going to say it again. It was written to the Gentile churches because they were meant to represent the fullness of the Gentiles. The number seven is a reference to perfection or the fullness or the completion of the Gentile church, okay? If you check each of these seven churches, there was a promise made to each of these each of these seven. And if you put all of those things, you're going to see the book of Revelation details the allotment or distribution of these seven things all throughout the book of Revelation. You see the crown of life in the book of Revelation. You're going to see the tree of life. You're going to see the rod of iron. You're going to see white linen. He gives people, you're going to see all of these things laid out throughout the entire book. In other words, the seven churches were meant to fulfill all of these things. So the narrative in the book of Revelation was actually meant to be to the servants of God so that they can do what's, what the prophecy is telling them. In other words, the prophetic word was for them to fulfill. Does that make sense? It's like they're telling you, if you overcome, I'm going to give you a crown and you rule all the nations. Then after that, I tell you, come up here, let me show you something. And in that vision, I show you that anyone that wears this crown rules the world. I'm trying to say that. I want you to rule the world. Does, does, that, does that make sense? I'm hoping that what my example there made, made sense. Another example is uh, um, in, in a prophetic, you know, prophetic encounter, an angel comes to give you a rod and says, "Take if you overcome, I'll give you this rod. And I show you in a prophetic vision that um, only people that really love Jesus and that really um, um, love the body will receive this rod. And I now show you that those that wield this rod would have the ability to govern the nation that they're currently in. What I'm saying here is that if you would love Jesus and love his people, God is going to give you power, okay, over the people in your nation. Does that make sense? That is what is being written in this book here. So the book of Revelation was written to the Gentiles. So that's one. Two, the confusing part is if it's written to the Gentiles, then why does it just say it's written to the, why does it just say is the Gentiles? Okay, why is it saying the tribes of Israel? And I'm going to show that to us real quick, really quickly. Okay, I showed this to us the first time I spoke about the Revelation code. This is in, I'm going to read from Deuteronomy chapter 32. Yes, because that, that is the blessing of all the nations. So we're going to read, yes, this is Revelation. So this is Deuteronomy chapter 32. What is off of verse 7? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father. He will show you your elders and they will tell you when the most high divided their inheritance of the nations, he separated the sons of Adam. Look at this. When the most high divided their inheritance of the nations, he separated the sons of Adam. He set the boundaries of the people according to the number of the children of Israel. I'm going to read that again. Okay. This is Deuteronomy chapter 32. We're going to look at verse eight. Okay. When the most high God divided their inheritance of the nations, he separated the sons of Adam, and he set boundaries of the peoples according to the number of the children of Israel. Amen. That is what you are seeing when you read here, 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. 
that census in Deuteronomy 32 of the entire world where the world was broken into 12 tribes, it is those 12 tribes that the children of Israel were meant to represent. Children of Israel were meant to represent the 12 tribes of the world with the intent that if they come into functional priesthood, okay, there's a way that God does things, okay? God wants to work with an entire country. So what does he do? He grabs Moses. Moses, I want to talk with you, okay? I love my people. Do you, can you love them for me? Moses says, yes. He goes, loves God's people, okay? And by loving God's people, he brings God's people out of Egypt and brings them to Mount Sinai. And God's people are going to become a nation of priests. So far, Moses has been functioning as a priest, but God wants them to join Moses in priesthood. Everyone get that so far? God wants them to join him in priesthood. God made the invitation for Moses to come up on the mountain, and God made the invitation for all of Israel to come up on the mountain as well, so they can have the same burning bush experience that Moses did. There was going to be on Mount Sinai, but this time wasn't going to be a burning bush. It was going to be the entire mountain engulfed in flames. Okay, Moses' personal experience was meant to become a public experience for all of Israel. That was God's intention. Okay, so God, God wants that to happen. But you know what happens? Not everyone in Israel is on board with God's plans except for the tribe of Levi. And even then, this is after they rejected what God had to say. So you have Moses, you have the tribe of Levi, okay? Moses' job now is to consecrate the Levites so that they can consecrate the children of Israel, amen? So that the children of Israel can fulfill what God originally had in mind. What God initially had in mind was that the children of Israel were meant to be a nation of priests, a kingdom of priests and a holy people with the intent that as a kingdom of priests, they can fulfill God's desire to recover the actual Israel. Please understand, the actual Israel in the hearts of God is not the Jewish people. It's actually the world. Amen? God loves humanity. God lost humanity in the garden. Amen? And God's heart cry is to restore all of humanity. But to do that, he has to pick out Abraham first. Work with Abraham in establishing a bloodline of genealogy. For that genealogy, he wants to use them and harvest the earth. But it always starts with one man. So one man first, then a small community, then a bigger community, then a nation, and from a nation to a continent, from a continent to the world. That's how God, God does things, okay? Why am I saying all of these things? Because that's what you're seeing right here, okay? In this whole thing about the seeding of the 12 tribes. God's initial vision for Israel was not the Jewish people. It was actually all of the world. That's what I would say, that Israel is my firstborn, okay? They are my tithe. They are my Levites. They are my first fruits. God wants all the earth. Okay, we'll be ending in a few moments, okay? The last thing I want to show us here about the 12 tribes, okay, that's very critical, is that all throughout the book of Revelation, you're going to see something very interesting, okay? John would hear something, and when he looks, he sees something else. But that thing that he looks and sees is, a, is the same thing he heard. We're going to keep on seeing that. For example, let's, let's, let's look at one, let's literally look at a, an example here, okay? John is weeping because he discovers, um, it says here, no one in heaven or earth was able to open the book or to look at it. So John wept much because no one was found worthy to open the book and to read the scroll, look at it. But an elder said to him, don't, don't cry. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll to lose the seven seals. So look at this. John heard, an elder said to him, do not weep. Behold, look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. So John is expecting to look at and see a lion or at least look at a tree. 
the roots of David, right? But inside, when he looked, what did he see? In the midst of the throne, in the midst of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Amen. You're going to find this theme reoccurring all throughout the Bible. They would say to him, come, come and see the bride of Christ. And he's looking for the bride of Christ and he sees a physical edifice, prophetically. Okay. Which is that, what is that edifice? The new Jerusalem, the city of God. I thought you were going to take me to see the bride of the lamb. Why are you showing me this building? Is everyone listening? So you're going to have this theme reoccurring all throughout the book of Revelation. You hear something, but then you see something. I'm saying this for a reason, okay? Because if you don't pay attention to that pattern all throughout this book, you can miss on a lot of things that are happening. Basically, they're saying that the lion is the lamb, okay? The lion of the tribe of Judah is the lamb of God, amen? They're also saying that the bride of Christ is the city of God, all right? Now, why am I saying all of these things again? If you look at Revelation chapter 7, when they say, um, Revelation 7, I thought I pressed enter. Okay. There were sealed 140. I heard the number of those who were sealed, right? 144,000 of all the tribes of Israel. And then there's a census. And this census is read out loud. But look at this in verse 9. It says, after these things, I looked, after hearing what they had to say, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, all tribes, all peoples and tongues were standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes. Look at that. Clothed with white robes. Are you seeing the people that were ministered to privately by the unsealing of the scroll, by the breaking of the seven seals, by the ministry of the four living creatures, by the ministry of the four horsemen? Is everyone under... Who here does not understand what I'm talking about? Amen? Please let me know. I'm going to keep on going, and I'm going to assume that you do not understand that you do understand. Okay. Who here understands what I've said so far? Let me give room for understanding here. To an extent, that's good. So you, you understand to an extent or you don't understand to an extent. Like I said, it was the same thing just now. If you have questions, kindly put them in the chat. You said no. No. What, what are you doing to... You don't understand. What part don't you understand? It's all muddled up. Okay. So um, I, I do understand that you didn't come in on. There, the confusion is not, I'm not surprised by the confusion, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so if I, I'm looking for those that were here, though, from like pretty early on, because I give I did give a lot of time for people to join in. I gave like almost 10, 15 minutes before we started. Um, I wanted to make sure. So. So what I recommend you do is that you just go back. I'm going to do this again. So this is just the first part. OK. Um, of this this series. OK. Um, we're going to be going into a whole bunch of stuff here. OK. We spoke about the compass. We're just in this first part. We have a lot of ground to cover.
Okay. And what I mean by that is not to say that, ah, we will not, what is it now? Okay. We, we want to make sure that we're going through everything properly. So there's a proper understanding of this book. This book is not meant to scare anyone. It's actually very, very simple. Okay. Now, when I say very, very simple, there's context for the simplicity. Okay. And also because of pre-existing notions on how to read the book, those pre-existing notions can, can be frustrating to anyone trying to understand everything when you already have those pre-existing notions. Okay. Um, I'm hoping that my words were also not muddling things up as I was speaking. Okay. But what I'm trying to say here is this, okay, that we're going to be staying here for a while until we make sure that we understand everything in the seals before we move on to the trumpets. Okay. The truth is that, um, um, a lot of the things that are expressed here um, with the seven seals, just understand what part, I'm just wondering what, um, because we've already gone a good distance, trying to re retrace my steps and start everything off simply might be a little bit difficult to say, but you understand about the place about the prayer of the saints. You get that part? The prayer of the saints, you get that part? Yes, okay, cool. Okay, I'm just gonna I'm gonna pick from there and make make it as easy as possible to go from that in that direction. Okay, so basically, the one forty four thousand. Okay, what they're meant to do, they're meant to, the one the one forty four thousand is a company of people that can effectively pray the prayer of the saints. They are the marriage house company and the first fruits unto God. Okay, God's desire is that um, He's able to raise up a priesthood. And the qualifier for this priesthood is that they can pray the prayer of the saints. They can pray prayers worthy of the golden altar. They are not selfish. Their heart's cry is for God's agenda to be done on the earth. That is the prayer of the saints, okay? It will be done on earth as it is in heaven, okay? This community of people, okay, for you to be a part of them, you need some things to happen to you. Some things have to happen to you to be able to pray those prayers well, I don't say the word intelligently, but sufficiently. Yes, the word is sufficiently. I can't just pray the prayer of the saints because I read about, don't pray for yourself, pray for other people. Heavenly Father, I pray for other people. Pray for other people. You start there, okay? But a lot of things have to happen on the inside of you because when you're praying, you're not just praying with your head. You're praying with your consciousness, your subconsciousness, and your unconsciousness, all right? And the goal in prayer is that there is a... Um, synergy, there is some kind of harmony between all the layers of consciousness in your soul with the intent that you are pouring out something onto God consistently. You're pouring yourself out onto God. Now, the more alignment is found in your soul, okay, the more weighty, the more potent your prayers are. So for God, okay, to receive the prayer of the saints, work has to be done on the soul so that that potency can be realized. Now, God's desire, okay, is that out of every country that exists on this planet, okay, there is a mapping of 12 tribes, okay, not unique to the 12 tribes of Israel. God's original plan for all of the world was 12 tribes of the world. Now, because the world rejected God, it's actually captured in Deuteronomy chapter 32, okay, the world rejected God, what ended up happening was that God picked out Abraham, Okay, and worked with Abraham alone. Yes. 
Okay, your subconscious is the part of your unconscious that you are in tune with. You have some awareness of things there. But your unconscious, you have no idea what's happening there. Your unconscious is like the frame, is like the, the behind the scenes framework, the gears that run you, that drive you. You need God to help you discover what's in there. You are not conscious of anything there at all. Your subconscious, you'd like, I'm not dealing with this thing right now. Amen. Those are things that God's word has dealt with you on and you have some, a little bit of a hold on. Somehow you can kind of, with a lot of prayer and fasting, you can sway. But there's some things that there's no prayer, there's no fasting, there's no training. God has to show up. <laughs> Does that make sense? Some things in your life you can deal with. Not, you can't deal with anything by yourself. Without the Lord, you can't do nothing. But like, you don't need a very significant um, release of God's power to break free from some things. But some other things you need an appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ in your life. Okay? Your unconscious is where that transformation needs to happen. Okay? That is where the, the, the underlying bedrock, the frameworks of who you are, that infrastructure, it, it's all, it all resides right there. Okay. Okay. This community of people that God is going to be using to pray the prayer of the saints, they are going to be uh, from every tribe on the earth. Okay. Every people group. And their goal is to present that. They're meant to present that entire lineage unto God. They're meant to be priests unto God for that entire lineage. All right. The whole purpose of this is that from every tribe and tongue, there is incense to be poured out to God. You know the reason why? At the end of the ages, there must be sheep nations. And even in goat nations, God is going to find these people. Amen? So the, the, the mindset concerning the end of the ages, that the end of the ages is going to be really bad, it's going to be all this warfare, and things are going to be really bad or whatever. Yes, things are going to be bad. But there needs to be context. Things are going to be bad. But what kind of bad? Is it bad because things are just bad? It is bad okay, in response to how much righteousness is being pumped out by the church, amen? You're going to find saints in Nigeria and they are pouring themselves out to God at voltages that you have never seen before. Who gets what I'm saying? And it won't be one or two people. You're going to find communities, churches completely swallowed up by the glory of God and these people, the hunger in them is not satisfied. They're crying. How much longer, O oh Lord, holy and true, until you avenge our blood on those that dwell on the earth? Amen? As in potent intercession, intercession that can move things on the earth. The reason why you see crazy signs and one at the end of the ages is not because um, God wants to just do dancing and, and singing and praying. Humanity is reaching its maturity, its peak. And when humanity reaches its maturity and its peak, all of the faculties in the human frame, they all discover purposes. You know, like as a child, when you're growing up, you don't know, yes, put it in session. You don't know what your, your as a young boy, your, your reproductive organs are just meant for you urinating. That's all you know they're there for. But as you mature, new functionalities are awakened, right? New, new abilities, you begin to grow a beard. Things that you didn't even know existed begin to happen. Your voice gets deeper. What begins to happen as humanity matures is that different chambers of the soul, okay? They're able to respond to spiritual entities in a way they never could in times past. With an intensity, with a we we cross thresholds, right? Things have a fierceness they never could 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 touch before. Okay, all that will be happening at the end of the ages. You're going to be finding countries swallowed up by the glory of God, and it won't be a sovereign move of God like many people have said. People think that revival is sovereign moves of God. It's not going to be like that, though. These things are going to be because human beings will cry out to God. They will kill themselves for Jesus, and I don't I don't mean this. Figuratively. So people would literally want to die for God. Amen? Like they really want to get into this is what This is the context 
for the horrible things happening on the earth. Amen. You would have moves of God. Moves of God to become nothing. They, because we're not talking about revivals in a church. We're talking about moves of God that can swallow countries, not cities, entire nations. Imagine a move of God that swallows up a country. What is happening in each state? What is happening in each, in each what, what, what would the church services look like? When we look at Brownsville, we're just like, Jesus, Brownsville was just a building. It was just a building. Amen? Imagine a city, a city, beloved. During the Welsh Revival, it was said that people could not even curse. They couldn't use the S word. They couldn't say S-H-I-T. They couldn't say F-U-C-K. And it was bad. You know why, why it was bad? Because their animals thought that when they wanted them to go to work, by cursing, they thought that their masters, their masters in, 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 um, indirectly trained their animals to work when they use curse words. So because they were no longer using curse words, the donkeys weren't moving anymore. Nobody would say, will you move? That's how they got them to move. And the dogs recognized the curse words as move forward. But because of the glory of God overwhelming, they stopped, their, their mouths were clean. Who gets what I'm saying? The, one of the, I think it was still the Welsh Revival. The, the judges, they, they would wear, they took off their white gloves because they had no more court cases. Police was out of business because there's no crime. Is everyone listening? That's just a city. Amen. I know we're not talking about European countries. New Nigeria is, is, is subscribed to be a sheep nation, is prophesied to be a sheep nation. I want you to imagine what kind of move of God that would be. Imagine a country like America being swallowed up by a move of God. What do you think that would look like, beloved? Is anyone listening? This is context here. So when we're interceding, when we're praying, don't think that intercession is for, you know what people say that, oh, intercession, go on. It's not by interceding, it's by doing work. We're going to do everything, but we're going to also intercede because we know that to change things on the earth for better with alignment with God's kingdom, there needs to be incense. You, you don't change things by go, the people that are, that are making things bad, okay? They are not just in the industry changing things. They are eating feces. They are sleeping with mad women. They are entering the water to commune with dark entities. So you're listening. They are fulfilling all their obligations. These guys, they eat human body parts. They do rituals. They're listening. They're not just intelligent. They didn't just go and take a master class. They are going through, they're, they're doing stuff. If you are not doing stuff, nothing is going to happen. No matter how intentional you are, out there you are. Usually what happens best is that the things that are written concerning you, things that you have already been downloaded in your physical body are the only things you can manifest. But other things in your scroll in heaven, without priesthood, you can't unseal those other things. That's right. The reason why the earth is the way it is now is because people, they have paid the price. They have, not the prayer of the saints, the prayer of the apostates. Hallelujah. Amen. So I hope there's context here. I need to end right now because we're way over time. Hallelujah. So um, um, I hope everyone gets what I've said so far. Um, I was reading through Revelation 7 and I wanted to use Ezekiel 9 to show us what was the, the mirror was happening there with Ezekiel 9. I encourage you, rewatch this session. Look at those scriptures again. One, there's no, it's not every single scripture I mentioned. Some of them I alluded to. The ones I alluded to, press pause, go back and read. People, I can just tell people need to spend more time in the scriptures, just reading. Okay, just reading the Bible. I remember when a man of God um, would teach scriptures. I needed to see what he was saying in the Bible. I wasn't satisfied with what the man told me. I needed to see it. 
If I don't see it in the Bible, I don't care who you are. I, don't, I Honestly, I don't care who you are, what man of God you are. I need to see what you're seeing in the Bible. I, mean, I had an argument with the man of God about this once. Amen? Hallelujah. <laughs> I have to end, unfortunately. I have to end um, soon, unfortunately. Hallelujah. Amen? And, and this man of God, you know, when he was telling me about different encounters and stuff or whatever, and he wanted to try and bamboozle me with um, supernatural experiences. And I'm looking at him like, I'm confused. I'm not asking you about whether you've seen a, a cherubim before. Show, show me what you're saying in the Bible. Because if it's by, well, I'm, I cannot be arguing with you. I have, I have been to heaven. You haven't been to heaven. I have been to the Garden of Eden. You haven't been to the Garden of Eden. I have been to the throne room. I'm just like, what kind of discussion is that? What's the difference between us of the flesh and of the eyes? Oh my, okay. So Vince, I'm going to ask you that question privately, okay? Just because of time. Hallelujah. Because that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right now. Amen? The scriptures. Amen? When these things ha have been taught, please go to the scriptures. Um, for, la for lack of, for clarity, um, lack of the, okay, sir, um, lust, of the, lust of the eyes, the enemy revealing something to you and he's drawing you towards it. Lust of the flesh are things that you've already are, you're already aware of and they're distracting you, okay? Things that you're already aware of in your, in your current state and they're distracting you right now, okay? Things that have been to you, okay? Okay, it's actually progression. Eyes first, flesh, then pride. Hallelujah. Lust of the eyes, enemy catches your attention. Lust of the flesh, there's a music that's ongoing on the inside of you. The pride of life, that music is blocking you from God. The first step you want to get, um, you want to do in repealing all those things is receiving with meekness. That means shutting down pride, the aggressive word of God, which you're able to save your souls. And the next step after that is letting go uh, of the distractions, the internal distractions. And finally, um, shutting your eyes to everything that you're seeing. Okay. You hear all these scriptures, please go and read. Amen. Don't let any man of God, don't let me bamboozle you. I could be lying. I'm not. I'm not lying intentionally, at least. Amen. But please... Spend time in the scriptures, amen, and read. Take notes, draw diagrams, map things out. That doesn't, that doesn't, these things don't need to be hard to us, amen. Um, and also, the reason why I read the scriptures is important is because many men of God have taught me some of the things I understand now, but not the way I understand them now. They taught them to me the way that they understood them, and I receive what they what they got. And by checking the scriptures, I got activated into my own experiences, into my own understanding of the scriptures. Amen. I'm saying I'm making reference to these scriptures because the whole point of everything that's been said is so that you can go back to the source. Okay. The source is the spirit of God. The source is the word of God. You go back to the source, labor in the word, labor in prayers. Amen. As you're reading the scriptures, don't just read the scriptures. Don't just pray. Let the scriptures form images. And pray, press into those images. Amen. Sometimes while praying the Holy Spirit, Ranada, with an image, a picture formed from the scriptures alone, you would have experiences. You have encounters with God, especially if your intellect is being bombarded by what you have read. Amen. So you've read the scripture. The scripture says this. You read, like I said, you read like four pages of the Bible. Okay. You read that. They begin to meditate on like two or three verses that really get your attention. And as you meditate on them, a picture comes to your mind. Being framed by those, by those scriptures. Then you now begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in the Holy Ghost. In the Holy Ghost. It won't take you long. You will have an encounter. How could you not? How could you? Who cares what I'm saying? How could you not have an encounter? Amen? Hallelujah. Okay. So, um, again, I want to apologize so much for taking your time. Um, this is our series called The Revelation Code. Amen? Where we're digging deep into the book of Revelation, unveiling it, 
making sure that no one thinks that this book is dark and strange. Hallelujah. Again, this is a spinoff of our Missions of the Kingdom, um, um, Crystal Rivers Expression. Pastor Francis Hebert sends love and his greetings. And I want to thank you all so much for staying, you know, staying this late and hanging out this, this long. Again, apologies for taking so much time. Hallelujah. Want to bless you all. Don't forget um, Dreamcast. Um, it's actually a word for now thing, but nothing's stopping you from enjoying the Lord every, every night, right? So um, Jesus loves you, beloved. Thank you all so much for joining us. Tomorrow's Melchizedek School. Jesus loves you. Have a blessed night. <laughs>